Thank you, Father. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Brother Richard, sir, I heard in my spirit, there, let me say it right, Lord. I have placed much in you, much more than you're aware of. Things were placed in your spirit before you were old enough to be conscious of any of them. And many things were placed in your spirit that you've not thought of for decades. But now, I'll begin to bring those things up in you and begin to bring them out of you. Hallelujah. To others, to ministers, and to others. Great riches I've placed in you, and I'll bring them out. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. Hallelujah. Can you discern that? What what riches God has placed in in our brother here. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Agree with me uh, for whatever preacher wants when they get ready to speak. Right? (laughs) Ointment. One old preacher kept, he kept talking about the ointment, the ointment. Somebody said, what are you talking about? He said, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know when it ain't. (laughs) So, uh, utterance and ointment, hallelujah. Father, we agree together as touching this, and we yield ourselves to you, and cause to come through, come out, come through, come into as only you can do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I am believing for a direction. Some of these things are so big that you just couldn't possibly cover everything. In, in a few minutes. But uh, go to 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and you said you're believing with me. Yes. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, we read in Timothy where Paul spoke about the what he had been entrusted with and what how the Lord had counted him faithful and put him in, putting him into the ministry. And if you read First and Second Timothy uh, and look at it as a continuous flow, you'll see that uh, Timothy was challenged. He said, "I'm mindful of your tears." He, he, he had been pushed and pressed, and there was pressure on him to back off of what. He had received through Paul's ministry. Paul's in jail. Some people are ashamed of him. Now that's not my opinion. That's in the text. That there were people who were ashamed of him. And there were some new ministers that had come on the scene that were claiming that they had new revelation. And they, he might have been an apostle, but they were super apostles. Second <laughs> Timothy 1 7 the spirit of God through Paul said this to Timothy he said God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind now we, we've taken that verse out and just talked about not yielding to fear and, and having the spirit of power love and a sound mind but keep it in context here Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. When he says uh, God didn't give us the spirit of fear, he's specifically talking about 
being pressured and intimidated to back off. I'm not ashamed. Don't, he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me of his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Everyone who's ever been bold to preach and teach the real truth has been persecuted and will be persecuted. You know, back at the turn of the century, individuals, their lives were threatened for preaching Acts 2-4. Acts 2-4. That you could be filled with the Spirit. What Brother Richard was talking about and speak in tongues. This was considered heresy among many. Back during... uh, uh, Brother Oral Roberts, you know, tent meetings and others and, and Brother Hagin, when he started laying hands on people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, man, people scoffed. They said, who do you think you are? Jesus? Laying hands on people to be filled with the Spirit. It was considered completely wrong doctrine. And as yet it was the Bible. Always had been. Men had gotten away from it. When you preach truth that's real, it goes against tradition. (laughs) It can't help but go against tradition because the source of the tradition is the enemy endeavoring to oppose the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is powerful beyond imagination, and yet there is something that can render it ineffective. The traditions of men hmm, can render the word of God of no effect. How How could it be? The same force that created the heavens and the earth rendered of no effect? And that's why the enemy pushes it so hard. So you and I should have had a taste of it by now and just realize this is how it is. When we preach the truth, you know, you come to a place like this, people are going to shout and get with you. But don't be shocked when other, other ministers in your community other churches, other groups, and especially the ungodly folks don't like it, don't agree with it, call you names. Jesus even told us about that. He said when they talk about you like that and they persecute you like that, jump for joy. Leap for joy. Because you in good company, brother. They said the same thing about the prophets of old and the men of women, real women, men and women of God of old. You're in their company, and great will be your reward. Come on. That's good. We must endure hardness as good soldiers. Hmm? You hear people sometimes going, uh, This is hard. This is hard. I'm a faith man. This is not supposed to be happening to me. No, you don't sound like a faith man. You sound. <laughs> Like a wimpy. (laughs) No. No. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall shall suffer some persecution, some ugly letters, nasty grounds I call them. Don't read any any of them you don't have to. Just don't, don't. It, it gives the, uh, the enemy opportunity to try to hurt you. Now, if you miss it, you want to be quick to repent and admit that, but don't just let people pour a bunch of junk in your ears to, to try to discourage you. Somebody say, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed. of the testimony of the Lord. Nor, nor 
your elders. Some said, where'd you get that? That's what he was talking about. Don't be ashamed of me either. He was Timothy's father in the faith. Don't be ashamed. Does that remind you of Romans 1, 15 and 16? As much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Somebody say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And he went on to say, you know, in the 10th chapter, he said, the word we preach is the word of faith. You see that connected with the gospel in verse 17, Romans 1, 17. Therein, in the gospel that we're not ashamed of, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith faith. This is inseparable from the gospel. This is faith is part and parcel of the gospel. The gospel is only revealed by faith. It's only preached by faith. It's only revealed and understood by faith. This book is a closed book to the unbeliever. It is a closed book. I don't care how, uh, how much of a genius they may imagine themselves to be. The things of God are spiritually discerned. That's right. And it happens according to our faith. Now we're here in Romans. Go to Romans the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12, please. Somebody say, don't be ashamed. Why would you... Why would we need to be told? Don't be ashamed. Hmm? If it wasn't an issue, if it wasn't a some pressure brought against you, you wouldn't need to be told that. In Romans 12, he said, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is where faith begins. Knowledge of God's will. For I say through the grace given to me to every man that's among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Thank you Lord. I just got the other part I'm supposed to minister to you. All right. Hallelujah. Made me happy anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was still looking for something. You know how that is, right? I was still looking for something, and I just, I just got it right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got to get that pot to perkin. Is that right? We got to get that. <laughs> uh, you guys are easy to preach to. He said... Don't think highly of yourself. Huh? No. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. What did he say? Don't think more highly than you ought to think. Now, we're, we're here. Hold your place there. Where am I here? Uh, actually, just back previous chapter, eleven thirteen. Paul said, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. Somebody say that out loud. I, I magnify, magnify. My office. Do you? Do you? Is he being boastful? <laughs> it's too quiet. This is inspired of the Holy Spirit. This is not just him chatting. Is he boasting? He didn't call himself. He didn't place himself. Office has to do with a place. 
and the call and the ministry. He didn't call himself. He didn't anoint himself. He didn't put himself in that place in the body. He's not magnifying what he has done. He's magnifying what the Lord has done in him. I hope you're awake. Hmm? He's magnifying what the Lord has done. It's in him, but it's not him. Now, in the 12th chapter, just a few verses over, he said, don't be conformed to this world. You'll ha- we'll have to make an effort not to be because the, the, the pressures of it are coming against us on all sides. And all you have to do to be like the world is nothing. <laughs> just wake up and listen to everything and everybody's saying, nod your head. And go with the big flow and you will be worldly. You'll be like the world and you will be ungodly. Because the world is ungodly. And the, uh, the Lord said this to me some years ago. Tolerance is the first step to conformity. The... The enemy knows this. Again, he, doesn't, he never comes to you as the devil. And he, he, he never comes overtly and tries to you know, get you to, to, to become completely like the world. The first step would just tolerate it. You know, tolerate it. And the next thing you know, you're becoming like it over a period of time. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I say through the grace given to me to every man that's among you not to think of himself, what? More highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, or the literal says a measure of faith. We are not to think more highly than what is true. Pride is not believing good things about yourself. Pride is believing lies. Hmm? Pride is believing lies about yourself. Things that are not true. Uh, one of the first revelations I ever got from the Bible as a teenager, I had never read the Bible through. And as a teenager, I felt I, I, that's something I should do. Our ministers had encouraged it and that kind of thing. And I started in Genesis and I got to Numbers. I got to Numbers 12, 3. I was sitting in a chair, I remember. And it said, now the man Moses was meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth. And then that struck me. And the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard a voice, but inside me, he said, did you notice Moses was the meekest man in his generation? I thought, yeah, I saw that. He said, did you also realize he was the most used man of me in his generation? And I saw the connection between humility and being used of God. Didn't, didn't understand it yet, but the only way you and I are going to be used of God, he's going to do anything by us, through us, is by his grace. And did you know who gets the grace? The proud don't get the grace. The humble get the grace. And so I begin at that point to begin to be curious, to hungry, hungry to learn what is humility. And one of the first things I begin to find out is what it's not. There's much misunderstanding, much confusion about humility. There's actually a lot of people that are proud of how humble they think they are. <laughs> Uh, 
<laughs> which is obviously, when you say it like that, not humility. Humility is Christ-likeness. It is being like the master. He said, come, learn about me. Learn how I am, what I am, who I am. And of all the things he could have said, this is what he says next. I'm meek and lowly of heart. He is humble. Humble is beautiful. In the scripture, in 1 Peter 3, it talks about uh, a godly woman not being, uh, having her, her beauty and glory just in external things, but in a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. It's not just a woman having a meek and quiet spirit. It's just the meek and quiet spirit, man or woman, that's of a great Price and great value to God. Pride he hates. And you should hate it too. There is no good kind of pride. Are y'all with me? People say, well, what about being proud of your country and being proud of your kids? If you're actually proud, it's bad. Pride is the nature of the devil. It's his nature. It's his character. And when Jesus, when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, came up out, and the Holy Spirit came on him, what did the Father say? This is my beloved son. I am so proud of him. Hmm? <laughs> See, a lot of times it is pride where it's your children. They did well and you go, that's my child. Yeah. Right. Whose child? Oh. Mine. Oh. Mm. My child. Yeah, they got that smarts from me. <laughs> they got that intelligence from me. They got that ability from me. You can be thankful yeah. for your children. You can rejoice in their accomplishments. You can be thankful for your country. Come on, are you listening? Thankful. Thankful. You can treat things with honor and dignity, but pride, even a half ounce, God hates it. He hates it. And so should you. The prophet said, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride makes one susceptible to deception. And that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about it's wrong to think highly of yourself. The scripture also says, well, let's just go there. Oh, hallelujah. Bear with me just a minute. He said, acknowledging of every good thing. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. The scripture says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by what? By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. In Christ Jesus. Is that pride? No. Do we need to acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus? How we handle what God gives us determines our qualifications for more. If he gives us something and we don't esteem it, we've disqualified ourselves for greater and for more. And religion 
has twisted the ideas of humility into self-degradation and self-abasement. And this is a trick of the enemy. He is, the devil is the debaser. He is the belittler. And so he's gotten this in to the church, to ministers, Christians, under the guise of humility. It's evil. And something good will come into somebody's life, revelation, anointing. God will use somebody to accomplish something that's good and wonderful. And they go, oh, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's just me. Huh? Oh, it's nothing. That was, yeah, oh, it's just me. That's just us. There's a lot of things wrong with that statement and that response. First of all, if God gave it to you, it's not just you. So two things here, you're taking credit for something God did, and at the same time, you're belittling it. Oh, that's nothing. And that affects the impact. Oh, it's just you, just your little church, just your little ministry, just your little message, just your little, little, little little, nothing, not much to it. And it'll affect the way you talk and the way you act. Yeah, I mean, you know, not much to us. You know, we're not anything big or we're nothing. That's not humility. I said, that's not humility. I tell my folks, our churches and our ministry, I said, the ministry you get here is some of the best quality you will get anywhere in the world. It is some of the best you will get anywhere. Am I bragging? If the Lord gave it to us, I said if the Lord gave it to us, if I need to, if I need to minister, and I'm going to him and I'm asking him, and I don't have it, and then he gives it to me. I shouldn't treat this like something I thought up. Huh? I'm going to do the best I can. Y'all probably already know all this, but, you know, I'll, uh, I know it ain't very good. Yeah, I'll struggle through. Y'all pray. That is not humility. That's not humility. It's a false humility. And there's this underlying mentality of, yeah, if you did do something good. Yeah, I did it, and uh, it was good, but, you know, but I'm going to be humble and not take the credit I know I deserve. <laughs> now, the truth is, you don't deserve the credit. If it was bad, it was you. If it was good, it was God. So when you say, I'm giving God glory for this, you ain't trying to be humble. You're just telling the truth. <laughs> Are y'all okay? <laughs> we must treat what he gives us as treasure. We've been entrusted with it. And we must present it as such. We must present it as precious and valuable. And just because it came through you or came through your spouse or through your friend or through your pastor or fellow minister that you know very well doesn't make it any less God because it came through you. And those that honor him, he will honor. Hallelujah. Makes all the difference how we present things. You see people that are ashamed of offerings. They're apologizing 
for even having one or for taking time. Or, or people are so, you know, apologetic about it, they, 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 they try to hide it somewhere. We all just, if you can, when you want to, I'm sorry to bother you, but, but we have, you know, things that we've got to take care of and, and people are afraid they're going to talk too long about it. And, and so the ministry is despising the offering. And the people, uh, like Brother Richard was saying, they're a reflection of you. If you don't honor it, they're not going to honor it. If you're trying to rush through it, they'll, they'll think, well, why don't they hurry up? If it's God, we should treat it as important. And the way we treat it the way, the way we give heed to it, the way we measure to it, is the way it'll be measured back to us. Can you say amen? amen. Your assignment is important. Amen. Treat it like it's important. The word the Lord gives you is significant. Treat it like it's significant. The things he gives you, the things he shows you, the utterance he gives you is weighty. It has kingdom and eternal significance. Yes, treat it that way. Yes, I said treat it that way. Yes, Hallelujah. Treat it that way. You. When you step off the plane, when you get out of your car, when you come into the church, you are his ambassador. You represent him. You speak on his behalf. You are his messenger. There should be weight and dignity with this. And the more important we treat it, the more the Spirit of God will manifest. The more we honor Him, the more we'll, He'll honor us. One of the big ways He honors us is with His presence. Oh, hallelujah. With His presence. Say acknowledge. Every good thing that is in me in Christ Jesus. After uh, starting the church we have in Branson, Missouri, for some years then, uh, I guess this was 10 plus years after that, I, I knew in my heart we were supposed to start another church. And I, uh, I didn't know where. And we looked at different parts of the country and different places, but... Uh, for a couple of years, we're praying about this, looking at this. And uh, one day I was at home one evening watching, I think it was the History Channel or the Military Channel, one of those that I happened to be on. And it was, uh, uh, they had put together some old film and, and commentary on the taking of the island of Iwo Jima, yeah. World War II. And... Uh, they were talking about what happened with that. And they were talking about what a tiny rock speck that smelled like sulfur out in the middle of the vast Pacific and what a high price we paid to take that little island. And it was so we had so many casualties and so many fatalities that back home here, people were upset about it. That that many people had been wounded or killed to take that tiny little speck of rock that stunk like sulfur out in the middle of the Pacific. Why? And they went on to say what no one knew at the time was that it was of strategic importance to the nuclear program that would ultimately end the war. And when they said it was of strategic importance, the Spirit of God poked me and said, pay attention, pay attention. Somebody say, of strategic importance. Strategic importance. And they went on to describe how that the airplanes, the bombers of that era, weren't completely reliable. And, and if they 
uh, lost engines or had to ditch with the, the atomic weapon and lost it, or worse yet, fell into the hands of the enemy out there in that part of the, the ocean and world. There was not time to develop another, and it could be catastrophic, and they, they decided we've got to have that island for that landing strip for that support. And so they paid the price to take it, and it worked out exactly as, as it had been planned There was the delivery system for the weapon. It ended the war. And while they they were talking about that, the Lord began, I began to see it. He said, son, you are boots on the ground. You don't have the big picture. I do. And when I give you direction, it is of strategic importance. And you won't know at the time why. And where, and as he began to talk to me, he, he was talking to me about where our next church was supposed to be. But then also I began to see pastors and ministers all over the country. In my heart, my mind, I began to see them by faith. People in little places that were not very nice. And some of them didn't smell very good. And the enemy's trying to say, look at you out here. What are you doing Who knows you? What do you have? Friend, if the Lord gives you an assignment, it is of strategic importance that you do what he told you to do. That you go where you are sent and you stay where you are stationed and you endure hardness as a good soldier. We have no idea the importance of what he's telling us to do. We have no idea. You, we, we, we think in terms of 50 years, 100 years. We think in terms of geographic. He sees the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. He knows. One, one eternal seed, uh, word seed that you preach, that you plant. You might not even know it in your generation, but it might have got in the heart of a child. That affects the next generation. That expands and affects a state or a country. You have no idea. But if you hadn't been there. If you hadn't taken that speck. If you hadn't stood your ground. I was ministering for a brother in the Midwest some years ago. And he had a good church. I mean it wasn't real big. But it was a good church. And. He said to me after the, the ministry, before I was about to leave, he said, you know, called some other minister's name. He said, they told me if I wasn't any bigger within the next year or so here, I should probably just close up. I said, what? He said, yeah, you know, because, you know, we're not very big. I said, absolutely. You ignore that. I said, did the Lord send you here? I believe he did. Has he told you to leave? No? Well, I recommend you stay. Yeah. That's right? Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. You stay with what he gives you. Unless and until he gives you something else. But it's this despising and belittling. Oh, we're not doing anything. Doesn't make any difference. The Holy Spirit's not telling you any of that. Where's that coming from? Even if you're not vocalizing it, the, uh, the thoughts come, and with them come feelings that are powerful and real. I, I've been privileged to know some of the men and women I consider to be some of the strongest ministers of our generation. And every one of them, including all my friends from ministers, all walks of life, every one of them that we've talked about have expressed something along this line that when they've preached, afterwards they felt like, I didn't do very good. <laughs> uh, I've had Brother Hagin tell me a number of times, Brother Hagin Sr., who's in heaven, after you get through speaking, you know, you feel like you could have done better. And I'm thinking, I don't know how. <laughs> Quoted half the New Testament. I <laughs> don't know how. But the enemy does the same thing to everybody. That wasn't very good. 
you fumbled around, bumbled around, forgot this, got this wrong. That was pretty weak. Did you look at the expressions on the people's face? They were none <laughs> too excited. He's the belittler. He's the despiser. Let us not, don't be so easily played. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Learn to, to not only minister by faith, but after you get through ministering by faith, stay in faith about what you ministered. That means don't be moved by what you feel or don't feel. When those thoughts and feelings come, didn't do too good, messed up, forgot this, whatever, that wasn't very powerful, whatever, you say, shut up, shut up. I have ministered the word of God in faith and his word will not return void. His word will not return void. It will prosper in what he sent it to do. It will accomplish what he intended for it to accomplish. It will. We need, he needs us in faith after the fact. So he continues to work with the people that heard it. Even if they're not so much in faith, we're in faith about what they're heard. He'll bring it to them. He'll wake them up in the nighttime. He'll bring it back to them tomorrow. Remind them, remind them, show them, quicken them, unveil. Hallelujah. But we must handle it as, as, it, as it is important, as it really is. We must handle it. When I had the privilege of working with Brother Hagen and was able to work in his healing school, uh, he began to be more, more busy with other things and he said uh, he was teaching there himself, ministering himself, and then we were, we were ministering some in his place and, and I felt so inadequate. I mean, he's seen the head of the church. The head of the church put his finger in his hands his hands would, he'd feel the power of God burning in his hands. And then next week, who, who's going to be speaking? Keith who? Where's Brother Hagin? I want to feel the fire. And so what, what I had learned is the anointing does the job. And so I began to seek the Lord. Lord, I need more anointing. You know, I, I hadn't had this experience like he has. I, I, need, I need anointing. Give me some more anointing. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's the anointing. Give me some more anointing. And I begin to press about that. Give me some more anointing. And if I asked for it like that once, I probably did it a hundred times. More anointing, more anointing. And as the weeks went by, I'm laying hands on people, but I'm saying, Lord, I need, I need this more anointing. And finally, after some months of this, Laying in the floor in the speaker's room, praying, the, the Lord said to me, while I'm, I'm saying, Lord, uh, we need more anointing to do this job. And he said, faithfulness. Faithfulness. I thought, okay, faithfulness, that's good. I know it is. Uh, yeah, I'm going to think about that. <laughs> but you know, I got a healing line here in about 20 minutes. And what we could really use right now <laughs> is some anointing. <laughs> and so I'm praying some more. I'm praying in tongues about more anointing. And the Lord said to me again, faithfulness, faithfulness. I thought, yes. Lord, that's important. I know. I, and, and I'm going to... Uh, Maybe tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to do a word study on faithfulness. I'm going I'm to find out about it. But you know now it's just like 10 minutes to the healing line. And what we could really use right now is some more anointing. And he began to talk to me. Thank you, Lord. He said, all of my children receive an anointing when they're filled with the Spirit. Many of them have done nothing with it. Why would they need more? Is it true? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. 
power to be a witness. So everybody, it's just true, everybody that has received the Holy Spirit, you, you've received anointing. And uh, he said, you feel like you have so little. You're comparing yourself to Brother Hagin. And he said, I told you it's not wise to compare yourself among yourselves. He didn't start out where ministering on the level he's ministering either. He said, don't think about what I gave him. Think about what I gave you. He said, be faithful with what I've given you. That's why he kept saying to me, faithfulness. Be faithful with what I've given you, and I'll give you more. Isn't that what the scriptures teach? If you're faithful in that which is least, you'd be faithful in more. That's how he operates. And what the enemy tries to do, whether it's sowing a seed, whether it's a message, whether it's a ministry, he endeavors to get you to belittle the seed, belittle the start, belittle the small beginning. Because he knows if he can get you to do this, he's capped you. He's limited you. Because without realizing it, you're despising what the Lord has given you. You're treating it like it's nothing. Oh, that's nothing. You didn't give it to yourself. It came from him. Treat it like it's valuable. And so people are begging and pleading for more. I need more. I need more. No, no, you don't need more. I thought I needed more, but I was wrong. I needed to esteem what I had. Do you remember when he said, uh, uh, before he fed the multitudes, he said, uh, what do you have here? Go, go and see what you have. And they came back and said, you know, well, we've got um, the, these, these little fish and these little loaves, but what are they among so many? Well, what was it? It was the key to the miracle, to feed. But they're treating it like this is nothing. This is, not, this is always how the enemy works. This is nothing. This is nothing. This is nothing. I remember the first mission trip we ever went on. I was to Central America. And the Lord had to supernaturally tell me to go. I wouldn't even consider going because I didn't have any money. None. And, and, and they were having a meeting where the students at Rama were going to sign up to go on a mission trip in Central America, build a church and do some, have a crusade and do some other things. And I didn't even consider it. A friend of mine said, are you going? I said, no, no, no. I was walking across the parking lot. It was wintertime. Cold air was blowing. And the Lord said, go back. Sign up to go. I stopped dead still in the parking lot. I thought, what? Go back to the meeting. So, excuse me, I said that wrong. He said, go back to the meeting first is what he said. I thought, well, maybe there's something I'll learn. You know, I'm not going. But I went to the meeting. And when they passed around the sheet, he said, sign up to go. So I did. And then on the way home, the devil got in the truck with me. <laughs> he said, you, you have messed up. You, you're supposed to have half of this money by X of time and the rest of it. You're just going to look like a fool. And they're going to go, why'd you sign up? Well, why'd you do all this if you knew you didn't have it? And, and the devil was in the truck with me. Well, we stood and we stood. Did everything we needed to do. And just, oh, two or three weeks before time to go, Somebody invited us to their house. We were students there at Ramah. Hadn't, we'd been eating, not starving, but not eating good quality stuff. And they fed us a wonderful steak and potato and all the trimmings and dessert. And, and we thought that was, we had a big blessing that day. And on the way out, they gave us half the money for the mission trip. Man. And you know what the devil got in the truck again with me? And he said, half is like nothing. Half is like nothing. You can't go on half. Half is like nothing. (laughs) Trying to get you to despise what God has done. Trying to get you to belittle. Half is like nothing. Half is like nothing. Thank God, by the grace of God, I realized, I said, shut up and get out of my truck. (laughs) Shut up. 
If God got half, he'd get you the other half. Is that right? If he can get you 2%, he can get you 98%. He can get you 100%. We just saw God move and work. And sure enough, just it was only like three or four days before the rest of it, but it came in more than enough. And we went on the trip. Everything was fine, but I began to see more clearly how the enemy works. Oh, that's nothing. You got no anointing like him. You can't minister like that. You don't have revelation like that. You're just little this. You're just little that. You're, and I saw it when the Lord said, be faithful in what I've given you, and I'll give you more. That's how you get more. That's how you expand. That's how you increase. Are you there in Romans 12 still? I was trying to get there. Romans 12, think, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Didn't say don't think highly, just don't think more highly than what's real and what's true. But at the same time, you do need to acknowledge every good thing that's in you. You need to acknowledge it and make much of it and magnify your office. I want you to say it out loud. God speaks through me. God speaks me. He ministers through me. And the caliber of that ministry is as great and strong as you'll receive anywhere. <laughs> Why? If it's God, if it's God in you, if it's God in me, if it's God in and Brother Roberts, Brother Savell, whoever, it's the same God, it's the same source. So it wouldn't be any diminished caliber. And the thing you got to watch about, watch out about, is belittling it because it came through you. You're the vessel, not the source of the good thing. He said, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Our ministry, let us wait on our ministering, our teaching, teaching, exhorting, exhortation. All of these, he's saying, you're going to do it in proportion to, to faith, according to the proportion of faith. Faith and honor are inseparable. If you have faith in someone, you value them. You value the integrity of their word. You don't see it as a cheap nothing word. You see it as a trustworthy, important word. Faith and honor are inseparable. And if, you, if I have faith in, in the utterance, I have faith in the revelation, I have faith in the anointing, the call... I will honor that and make much of it instead of allowing the enemy to cause me to demean it and belittle it. I saw when the Lord talked to me about uh, the anointing. He said, be faithful with what I've given you and I'll give you more. I stopped begging for anointing. I quit. I saw it. And I, instead of laying there, wearing myself out, praying, I, 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 I begin to say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. Hallelujah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, now let's, just, let's just pause right here. Here I am at a faith school with, the, uh, with, with a man that God sent and said, go teach my people faith. And yet I'm not in faith. I'm begging for something. Believers are not beggars. And when you see the prayers that the Lord had Paul to pray, he, Ephesians, Colossians, these other places, he's not praying that God would do a bunch of things for them. He said, open their eyes so they would know what has been done, what has been given. Beware of talking about what you need. What you don't know, what you don't have, what you can't do. This, this is walking by sight. This is unbelief. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. We, we got to have this. Quit talking that way. 
We need this. Quit it. Got to talk faith. Talk about what you have. I don't have it all. You got a seed? What is that? It is everything. Make a big deal out of that seed. I got a seed. Do you know what a 30-fold harvest off of that would be? You know what a 60-fold harvest off of that would be? You know what a 100-fold harvest off of that would be? I'm set. Got my seed. I'm in good shape. Well, you don't have anything. Yeah, I do. I got my seed. So I got it. Hmm? I got, I got a word. You don't have the whole thing yet, but you got enough to start. Well, I don't, I don't experience anointing like what they're talking about. You have an anointing. You have an unction of the Holy One. He is in you. He is on you. The more you talk about what you don't have, the more conscious you are of not having. Hmm? The more you talk about how much, what you need, then you're more conscious of the need. It gets bigger. You're magnifying, not the Lord. What did Paul say? I magnify mine office. Not the needs of the ministry. You magnify what God has given you. You magnify your opportunities. Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a whole lot of people. You've got some people. And in the beginning of the ministry, sometimes you feel like you need to pay them to listen. But that's just feelings, and you need to cast that down and treat it precious. Say, I got a word for you. It is from the Lord. It's going to change your life. Now, you don't say, I'm better than some other minister. Again, that's pride. But you are, your ministry is some of the best that you will hear anywhere in the world. Oh, somebody's not agreeing with me, just like I want you to. Your ministry is valuable. What God has put in you is precious. I said it's precious. It is not substandard. It is not third rate. It is not second rate. It comes from the same source, same spirit, same holy word of the people you have so much respect for. It's from the same source. And one of the big reasons some ministries have so much more impact is just simply acknowledging it is from him and treating it like it's him. And when you honor him, he will show up and honor you. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody give glory to God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Stand up on your feet. I think that's good enough for now. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I quit begging for anointing. And I began to say, I am anointed. (laughs) What a difference. What a difference. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Hallelujah. And I begin to say, I have power and authority over all sickness and disease and over every unclean spirit to cast them out. I have power and authority over every sickness, every disease, and over every unclean spirit to cast them out. Hallelujah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me. And then sometimes I just lay there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes and say, He's anointed me. He's anointed me. He's anointed me. He's anointed me. The Spirit is on me. He's anointed me. Hallelujah. And I begin to meet more conscious and aware. And so I'd go and lay hands on people and And I would sense some anointing. But as I continued to do that year after year, as some other things happened, the anointing got stronger. And the revelation got greater. Hallelujah. Until there were times I was experiencing what I was dreaming of those years before. But it didn't come by being persistent in begging. It came by acknowledging what God had already put in me and on me and being faithful with that. 
and then he adds more to you. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Close your eyes if you would and just, just pray this out loud in faith. Say it out loud. Father God, Forgive me any time I have made light of what you have put in me or on me. Open my eyes. Remind me. Help me to see and to value properly what you have given me, what you have put in me, what you have put on me, what you've put under my hand, the opportunities you've given us, I will, I purpose to honor you in these things, and I thank you for honoring me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.